you're sitting at your desk, hacking away at updates to a presentation, tight on a deadline, and ready to cry. That is the exact moment someone walks up and asks you, hey, can you help answer phones this afternoon? You want to say no. Maybe you do. Maybe you don't. This and a thousand other similar situations are the reason we're here today to talk about when and how to say no to things that aren't marketing. We're the marketing department. We're a team of marketing and business development professionals in a unique industry. Architecture, Engineering, and Construction, or AEC for short. The Marketing Department podcast is produced through collaboration with SMPS New York, which offers members professional development, leadership opportunities, and marketing resources to enhance their careers. My name is Allie. I'm a marketing coordinator at Ware Malcolm, an international design firm, and I've been in the AEC industry for a glorious seven years so far, and I can tell you one thing. We have got some growing up to do as an industry. Joining me here today are two colleagues, Christy Cerullo and Christiana Formica, whom I have had the pleasure of working with as a member of the SNPS New York, New Jersey Affiliate Committee. Thank you both for joining me today. Thanks, Allie. Thanks, Allie. Happy to be here. So let's talk about when to say no to things that aren't marketing. Christy, we have talked about this. The first question that comes is people saying, can I say no? And what do you think? Yes, I think we should feel empowered to say no. And I think um, it's often up to us to reinforce the boundaries of our role as marketers, especially since a lot of times people don't necessarily understand where our role ends and other people's um, responsibilities begin. So a lot of times it's up to us to draw those lines. Um, and also, I think that we don't necessarily question what other people say no to us. You know, I've approached uh, people on the technical side about things like conferences or client meetings or um, materials for a proposal. And if they say no, they they have to focus on a project deadline or, or any other thing. You know, we don't really question that. We kind of respect, you know, when they say that. So I think we should feel the same way about saying no to others ourselves. We don't have to, have to, we don't have to feel guilty about being honest about our workload and our other priorities. So I don't think it has to be as dramatic as just bluntly saying, like, no, I can't do that or, or something like that. But uh, rather, it's kind of clarifying what our role is in the organization. And of course, there's always an exception. There are probably certain people that you feel like you can't say no to or you're not comfortable doing so, such as, you know, principal or your direct supervisor or an owner. Um, and that's okay. I love your perspective of Think about other people that we interact with every day. I can't tell you the number of times today that I've been told, no, I can't work on that. I've got too much billable work. That's my favorite phrase. I've got billable work to do. Okay. All right. AKA real work. <laughs> real work. Yes. <laughs> Christiana, what about you? What are your thoughts? Um, I completely agree. I mean, I found that I could say no to pretty much anyone at any time so long as it made sense you know Christy outlined some really great parameters for consideration um, when you're like building your instincts of how to say no um, I'll add that my initial reaction to any request 
would always be, can I get my actual job done if I stop my work now to solve this other thing? And if I couldn't, then I'd redirect them or take the request to my director so we could figure out a solution together. If I could still get my job done and answer the request, my next caveat would be to let the person know this isn't marketing, but I happen to have time to make an exception for you right now because, you know, anything for the team. But then I'd make my director aware of the request just so she knew what was on my plate. Um, I'll just add that, you know, that the, you know, informing someone that this isn't marketing it's, you know, it's not to say don't ever come to me with a request. You know, you are part of the team. You're all building something. Um, but it's just to set those boundaries um, and keep the structure clear. And that way everyone can work as effectively as possible at all times. Yeah, and I think Christiana makes a good point about if something's an exception, let them know it's an exception because because doing one thing one time as a favor for someone can easily turn into, you know, being the person who, you know, sets up Zoom meetings for everyone in the company, right? I think a few of us have probably been in that position, you know, and I like to explain maybe, you know, I set up a call for a business development meeting and then, you know, that precedence is set, but then kind of clarifying like, no, I, you know, it's a marketing call, so that's why I set it up. Um, you know, so once someone realizes you can do something for them, they're, they're, there might come back out, out of habit. So I think that's a good point. Yeah, I, I like that you both hit on a key topic here of setting precedent and explaining when you break that precedent. Like you said, Christy, well, I don't schedule Zoom meetings for everyone, but here's an instance that I am and here's why. Um, and Christiane, I especially loved, loved your phrase, do I have time to work on this? Because you don't want to just say no, no, because it's not my job. Part of being a team player, I think you kind of hit on this, is making sure you do your job and <laughs> getting that done. Um, Christiane, I think you had a specific instance that you took this uh, advice into play. Oh, yeah. I mean, uh, beyond the, the typical requests, some of which, like Christy had mentioned, um, setting up Zoom meetings, being the note-taking person, what have you. Um, I once had a principal be so adamant that I dropped the rest of my workload to continue edits on a proposal for her, but that meant dropping two proposals for two other principals, um, where I had already given her an extra day of my time. Like, that extra day was already taken away from them, um, she threatened that we not submit her proposal altogether if I didn't um, get it completed to her satisfaction after we'd put so much sweat into it. And my director was working on it side by side with me. So I wasn't even alone in what was happening. And it was about to be a full steam ahead train wreck. Like I escalated the situation to an HR person and it worked out that my director was able to take on finishing the proposal, making final edits. And I was able to refocus on my other work. Um, the way I originally organized it, but that was by far one of my most stressful situations. Yeah, and I think something you'd mentioned before that this is a situation where you have to be done at some point. You could always make something better, especially us marketing folks. We can always do better. <laughs> We're perfectionists at heart, I think, all of us. 
Uh, we could definitely you, keep editing beyond that deadline point, but then <laughs> you don't get the job, right? Yeah, give me give me a year to work on one proposal. You'll love it, um, and I'll I'll still ask for one more if you if you let me. But I I think me hearing the story, I appreciate that you had the insight to say, okay, we really need to be pencils down now. We've got other proposals that that extra bit of attention could really make a difference. Whereas the one that your your principal was trying to get you to work on was, you know, we really need to be done with. Um, but that that sounds like such a heated conversation. I mean, you're talking to one of the principals of the company. How did you try to say no to her before? Uh, well, I, you know, explained to her the best way I could that we had back-to-back deadlines that week. Um, and her proposal was the best we'd done for that client. And we'd already gone above and beyond through a series of edits. And with respect to the other principals and my workload, I couldn't continue working on her proposal. Um, I felt I felt like that was the kindest way, most respectful way I could say it, you know, as someone talking to a principal. Um, and luckily, my other team members were able to help me out of that one. And it, we were all able to move forward and submitted all three proposals on time. Um, but this is, this is what it is navigating these waters, whether it's, you know, your everyday, um, run of the mill request or really stressful, like, oh my gosh, I feel like I'm being pinned up against a wall kind of a request. Like you have to think about how you're going to say no to someone that, um, is in a principal or director position above you. Yeah, I I really... I really like this whole this whole discussion from can you say no and feeling like you said Christy really empowered to defend your workload and what the primary function of your job is and making sure that as a productive member of the team you're doing what you're supposed to be doing on which you know thinking about our managers who who are trying to allocate our workload you can understand that they appreciate that too, that we're trying to work on the things that we're supposed to work on. Um, and Christiana, I just, again, I just love this story of you really pushing back on uh, leadership at your company to abide by these kind of standards of here's what we've agreed to and what we've set up. And, you know, I'm recognizing that I need to allocate my, my resources somewhere else and move on. Even if, you know, they aren't at that moment. <laughs> so I, I think these are really good points. I think uh, one thing that we discovered when the three of us were talking is that we need to point out that there are different approaches between firms, between situations, between roles. We looked at a one situation that we all kind of came across which was when each of us was asked to work on a client deliverable. You know, this is something that we're defining as billable work and it's no longer a pursuit. It's an actual project. So for me, example, one firm I worked at, I was asked to work on a presentation to a client. So it's no longer a pursuit. It's not marketing. It's now a design deliverable. You know, this was an architecture firm. So we have designers that have that aesthetic eye that can look at the presentation and put that together. And it's all their material. It's all their design deliverables that they're putting together. 
And we also were lucky enough at that firm that we had templates set up in PowerPoint that were very easy to manipulate, that if you've gone through college, you should know how to use a PowerPoint template and get it to where it needs to be. So in that situation, my reaction was to say that needs to go to a designer on the design team, uh, and here's who I suggest you work with. So I, I said, no, I'm not going to work on that. But Christy, you had a different approach. Yeah, that's right. Um, I work for a smaller company, and um, we do environmental consulting, so we're not, you know, it's more engineers and scientists and, like, designers and architects. So, um, you know, that skill set is not something that's, you know, uh, pervasive in the company. And also in small companies, you know, there's just less of a hard line between uh, different departments and responsibilities. So we don't have as hard of a line between when the proposal ends and when the project starts. So I've definitely worked on um, project deliverables. Normally, if it's in something like a presentation that's maybe like a, an environmental training or a public meeting or, or a stakeholder meeting or maybe a, a deliverable that's coming that needs to be branded in our client style that's going to be uh, publicly available that requires a little bit more graphic finesse. And so it's important to, you know, you know, to me and to the company that, you know, um, those, those things are branded. So I see that as like something that I would have a role in. So I've taken, definitely taken the initiative to help with, you know, formatting and design and branding of deliverables since, you know, I feel like it's a reflection of, you know, our company and our brand and should align with the standard that we set, you know, when we submit our original proposal. Christiana, you too, you had a separate, uh, different approach to kind of the same situation that came to you, right? You know, similar to you, I worked for um, an architecture firm where I had, um, you know, someone on the design staff asked me to work on a deliverable, you know, middle, middle of the project, um, kind of a report. And it's not something that I had ever done, not something that my department had ever done. It was something that project designers always or the project architects always worked on. Um, and at the time that they asked me this, I, you know, number one parameter, I wouldn't have been able to get my job done for my deadline. So that was my first instinct to say no. But number two, I was being asked to do something that project designers do, not the marketing staff. And even beyond that, if it was for me to say yes to, my marketing director would have been involved. You know, keeping structure and clear boundaries is incredibly important to how effective the entire office will operate. And to me, I was thinking big picture. Would this be something that was permanently added to my workload? It would have required restructuring. And I felt like we were understaffed for that on the marketing team. Yeah, I think Christiana makes a good point about, you know, thinking big picture and again, you know, this idea of setting a precedence. Um, you know, if you do one report, then <laughs> you could become, you know, the person who does all the reports. And so I think, you know, having that big picture in mind is important. Yeah, exactly. Like you said, Christy, just going back to setting the precedent. And I like what you said, Christiana, about thinking big picture. How is this going to impact what my role is? And I think a, a kind of an undertone of all of this that we're talking about is basically the importance of having a structure to your your department and your role. And even, for example, the last situation that we all gave, all of us approached differently, but we had 
definitions of what we worked on and what we didn't. And it's also important not just to have that, but of course, any good plan is communicated. So making sure that your marketing team knows what you do and don't work on, and also making sure your technical team knows as much as you can, tell them what you do and don't work on. And then when you have those conversations where they come, Christiana, like you had, and say, can you work on this report? You're armed with the knowledge that that's not something you should be working on. And you have that behind you to say, your team should be working on it because we have this, That that's how we're set up. Um, and, and again, just like you said, always thinking about, do I have time to do this? Can I help out, help the team, be be part of the group? But also, again, making sure you're looking at that precedent. Another kind of important part of this setting up this structure is that this really needs to come from someone who has say in the strategy of marketing. You know, it's it's not your entry level marketing intern that's determining what marketing is or is not working on. It's that high level manager, director, or principal who's saying, we as a company are deciding this is what we're going to work on, and this is how we're going to get marketing done at this company. And Christy, you are really, it's really cool that you've been in that role where you are the most senior marketing person deciding the strategy. So you've kind of had this experience firsthand. Yeah, definitely. And I think um, the stories that we heard Christiana tell really it highlights the importance of having a manager that is looking at the big picture, that has um, their department's best interests at heart, and is willing and, a and able and confident enough to set those boundaries for other people in the organization. Nobody else in the organization is going to set the boundaries for the marketing department like the manager will. And so we really need to be able to like step up and have some of those hard conversations and not shy away from them or feel obligated to everyone. You know, it's easy to feel like we're reporting, quote unquote, to everyone else in the company as opposed to being an equal team member. And so that's how I try to approach it, you know, in managing, you know, in my company, um, in terms of managing my team. I really appreciate it when someone is honest with me about their workload, if they're having any challenges with, you know, off the wall or random <laughs> requests from people. Um, a lot of times if something like that comes up, I choose to address those issues with whoever is asking. You know, if there's a technical director or project manager, I try to go to them directly. But, you know, I also encourage my staff to set boundaries for themselves and get comfortable saying no to things that they know, you know, are not their responsibility. Because I think that's an important skill to learn and important to develop it kind of in a safe space. Like, I'm always going to be there to, like, bring out the big guns. But if they can kind of do that first step, um, they get more and more comfortable with it. Um, and then in terms of working with other managers, um, I try to be upfront about, you know, competing debt priorities and deadlines that, that me and the department, the marketing department are dealing with so that they understand, you know, what are the things that, that we're dealing with um, and get a perspective of how their one piece fits into all of those other things. And then in terms of, you know, managing up to firm leaders, um, I try to communicate our responsibilities in terms you know, in terms that they're going to relate to and understand. So, we, you know, dollars and new business, you know, that's, you know, that's the language. So, for example, you know, something that I deal a lot in a small, in my small company that I work for is um, being a backup to administrative functions. So, like formatting deliverables, editing reports, doing memos, phone, answering the phone, you know, faxes, things like that. Um, so, 
so I try to make it clear, and you have to kind of repeat sometimes. We're working maybe on however many, 10 proposals, 20 proposals for whatever dollar amount worth of jobs. And time spent on these other tasks are, you know, would distract us from putting together quality submissions. So, you know, re-emphasizing the value you bring on the work that you that we are doing, rather than saying like, oh, I don't have time to do that. I'm not willing to do that. That's not what I do. And I think, you know, one last point is um, what level you're in in an organization definitely can determine how you can say no and how you approach that conversation. But I think in general, it's always good to be able to communicate and defend the value that your core work brings to an organization. Yes, that is, we could do a whole episode on just talking about the value that marketing brings to organizations, because unfortunately there are some organizations out there that I think don't value marketing um, maybe as much as they should, or don't really see it as, as a profession as much as just ex an extension of admin staff. Um, but I, I like that you, and it's great to hear this from a manager, you saying to your company, defending the value that you bring, and especially that you, <laughs> like you said, put it in their terms, dollars and new business, <laughs> make it real clear. Here's how I impact the bottom line. Here's how me not answering phones this afternoon is impacting the bottom line because I can work on this proposal that's you know, X number of dollars and is going to be this new market. Um, so I, I love that. Definitely speaking the same language brings us all together, right? But this, you know, Christy, you've really uh, set the bar for what we look at, look for in uh, management and leadership. <laughs> but this does uh, bring us to another situation that we've come across and we've kind of talked about. And that is, what if you have a manager who's not Christy? What if you have a manager who is a yes man? And Christiana, you've had the pleasure of experiencing this. <laughs> yes, I have. Um, you know, but first I'd like to say, like, Christy, definitely, I'd love you know, if you were <laughs> a yes man you versus my... a no woman. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, a manager like you, um, that I loved, I just loved what you said about, you know, the, the marketing coordinator, whoever, whoever you have on your team being able to say, they could always say no first if they have those instincts and then you would come back with the big guns if you had to, um, you know, I, I did. I worked with someone that was sort of a yes man, had a yes man personality. And I just thought it was so silly sometimes because, here, you know, I, I felt like, you know, we had all the right, you know, parameters to say no. Um, but if I said no to a request, my manager would get, you know, kind of itchy, like, oh, we can't say no. We have to say yes, because that was just her personality, you know. Um, and luckily, it was something that I didn't feel had me off task enough to become an escalated problem, like with my last scenario. But when you're in that situation and it is a problem, you're really treading on someone's personality. And you have to ask yourself if you trust that person enough to have a conversation with them about it to rectify the situation. You shouldn't be so off task saying yes to everything that you're unable to do your job. And if you are, that's when you consider where your boundaries are and if you need to make a change. Yeah, definitely. I feel like we're talking a lot about boundaries, and I think it's because it's important. It's, I think it's just a general life skill, you know, and also like in any career, not just marketing. But, um, you know, also we don't want to get to the point where we're so overwhelmed, where we can get 
defensive with people of like, no, I'm not, you know, and that kind of attitude, but, you know, just a way to set, set healthy boundaries, um, you know, be really clear with people and not um, rather than like, you know, antagonistic, I guess. Yeah, so this, I, I definitely want us to focus here for a bit because this is a really good point to layer in. When someone, this is, you know, what what you guys are saying, when someone asks you to do something that isn't necessarily your job or flat out just isn't your job, it is important to respond with compassion and empathy and understanding of where they're coming from. Christy, can you kind of dig into that a little bit more? <clears throat> yeah, definitely. I think um, something that I try to think about, like, why is this person coming to me with this? Like, why are they approaching me, me or my department in the first place? And so one reason might, you know, honestly just be that they don't know or they've forgotten whose responsibility this is. Um, and that's easy, you know, I just redirect them to whoever is responsible for it. So that's it's not really saying no, it's kind of saying, oh, this person does that, not me. Um, so that's easy, right? Um, another reason might just be that they think you can do it better or faster or easier than them having to ask who, you know, whoever the other person or department is. Um, and again, there's, you know, that's another situation where I would redirect them, you know, the fact that I sit right next to them is not a reason why I should do it, right? Um, you know, of course, there's some gray area with somebody that I get along with really well and it's really quick. You know, maybe I would just kind of do it. But, um, you know, that's, you know, one reason. Uh, another one, you know, might be something that's very urgent and no one else is available to do it in time. And so in that situation, I would normally, you know, do whatever the task is and then maybe have a follow-up conversation if it keeps happening. About how how to mitigate that in the future um, or maybe you know whoever the responsible department is talk to their managers um, you know if it's a recurring issue then it just needs to be made clear that like it can't be assumed that that me or my department is always going to be the backup for that task or maybe there needs to be a different kind of process in place for that then another reason is uh, you know maybe it's a task they can do themselves but they don't want to or they don't know how to and then here's, you know, a great opportunity to train someone on how to do it themselves. I love doing written instructions. That way, when they ask me, you know, three months from now, they forgot, and I could just, you know, forward the instructions again. Here they are. Let me know if you have questions, um, you know, or, again, redirecting them or to somebody somebody else or just kind of reemphasizing, you know, that there are other priorities there. Um, and then lastly, you know, there might just be an operational gap, and it's not clear whose responsibility it is in the organization to do this particular thing. And, and this one's trickier. Um, this is a situation where, again, we want to be careful of setting a precedent that is hard to undo later on. So it doesn't mean like, well, you know, we, we never agreed to this, so we're not going to do it. You know, that's not necessarily the attitude that we want to bring to that conversation. But we do want to, you know, make it a conversation um, with the managers or HR and, and try to be part of recommending a solution, whether it's, you know, another department that's suited more to the task, bringing in an outside vendor, you know, bringing in a new hire, depending on exactly what it is, or a contractor. Um, so, I mean, this is something that I deal with a lot working for a smaller company, um, and it's just kind of the nature of it that some, 
some people have to do things that are just a little bit outside of what we're, we're comfortable with. So, um, you know, that's something that comes up a lot. Yeah, you no, know, listening to you, I, I love and I hope people listening are appreciating that you're responding with such a proactive attitude. You know, you've identified someone is going to ask me how to do this or ask me to do this again. So I'm going to write up instructions that I can send to them that will tell them that I don't have to spend any more time on other than the amount of time it takes me to write these instructions. And I, I also love that you're taking the approach of this is a reoccurring thing. Somebody keeps or somebody or several people keep coming to me for this task or this request. And you're realizing that well, maybe there's a hole here. There's an operational gap that needs to be fixed or filled somehow, whether that's an outside resource or just we need to reevaluate things in, uh, within our company. Um, people always talk about continuous improvement, and I think that's that's one of the key ways to do it is to look at what am I being asked to do that's not really what I should be doing, um, that it seems like there's there's not anybody else maybe that can take that on. Yeah, I mean, I think this is pervasive, and I think it's probably one of those things where, like, everyone's afraid, more afraid of, of having that, that difficult conversation that they'd rather just do it for forever than have to have the conversation of, like, wait, who should be doing this, right? Um, so I think we have to be maybe less afraid of, like, facing those situations. Yes, that that is another good topic for us to hit on is uh, <laughs> uh, conflict, not conflict resolution, but confronting uh, difficult situations. Yeah, let's get some other people on that podcast. <laughs> I don't know. I think I think uh, you guys have uh, listening to you guys talk, you've definitely proven that you you've you are not adverse to uh, conflict. No it's we like, haven't <laughs> it's productive. It's productive. <laughs> I um, gotta be gutsy here. Gotta be gutsy. Yes. yes. God you gotta be um, I think another thing I think you had on that I really like is you talking about there's some special kind of circumstances where if somebody asks you something and, you know, it's a friend or I think kind of what you're getting at there is that if somebody asks you to work on something and you know they're not going to take advantage of that and continue to come back to you and try and, you know, take it elsewhere, make it make it more of what it is than just a quick help help them out. Um, I think that's that's definitely an instance that's kind of a you can you can do that. I know I've definitely done it myself um, to my benefit many times because it's something that's not traditionally done by marketing, but something I kind of want to do experience just to advance my career. Um, another point I was thinking about is that when people come talk to us to work on stuff, it's also because everybody's just busy and they're looking for somebody else who can help with anything. And so you may not be the first person they've asked. You may be the third person they've asked, but because we're all that terrible four letter word busy, we just have to figure out a balance. And I think that's what we're trying to say here is that we're balancing that by looking at what what our role is, what it's defined that we should be working on. Can we get our work done? And just using that to inform how we're responding to these requests that aren't exactly marketing. Allie, that's a really good point. I think, you know, what I hear there is, is actually, you know, people come to us because we're so supportive 
and you know I think um, have diverse skill sets <laughs> and problem solving abilities and people feel comfortable coming to us with confidence that we can help them with that and so I think that's a good thing but I agree that like it's up to us to kind of you know um, again set the boundaries of, of what our job is exactly yeah so before we wrap up, do you guys have any other closing thoughts you want to share? Yeah, I would just kind of um, kind of add to your point about uh, not being afraid to take on things that are different. You know, I'm I if you can't tell, I tend to be very protective of my time, protective of my team. Um, but I I don't think we always have to be looking at every oddball request as something we have to defend ourselves against. Um, so even if something's a little bit outside of normal, what we would consider normal marketing responsibilities or what's considered normal in your firm, you know, it might be an area for career growth or exploring something different. So, you know, I've definitely had the opportunity to get more into business development type activities um, or work more on the technical side with billable work. And so I see those as kind of, you know, fun chances to do something different and kind of test out the waters in a different area. Um, so I think, you know, we should still be on the lookout for opportunities to grow outside of our comfort zone, but just, you know, take more of a proactive approach rather than being reactive. Yeah, I completely agree. Um, I actually did some environmental graphics one time as billable work. It was a lot of fun. Um, it, it, it was a larger discussion than it was just a, an ask on the fly, but, um, I was excited to take it on because I'd be learning new skill sets, honing my existing skill sets, um, and and just learning a new way of, of looking at things uh, with graphics, even though I already did um, in my role, um, the marketing editorial graphics, so to speak. Um, this was uh, adding some illustration work to it. And it was just a lot of fun, not only expanding myself personally, but um, really being that larger part of the team that brought in that extra money and just, you know, made me feel more valuable as a team member. Um, so for me, like, yeah, you've heard me throughout this whole <laughs> episode saying, no, 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 <laughs> in so many situations. But, um, you know, this is because, like Christy said, you want to be productive of your time. Because you want those opportunities to say yes to things that will allow us to grow in our careers and be the best marketers and business developers that we can be for our firms. You know, we love what we do. We love who we work with and we love, you know, growing ourselves and our team members and our firms. And that's what it's really all about. I love that. I don't think we could end on any better a note. So I will close it there. Christy and Christiana, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you, Allie. Chris and Chris out. No. <laughs> the Chris is. The Chris is. The Chris is squared. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the marketing department. If you have feedback, questions, ideas, a great story, or just want to get involved and be part of an episode, email us at the marketing department podcast at gmail.com make sure to like review and follow us wherever you listen to podcasts
facilitate moderating whatever 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 I do yeah um, okay no let's so, go with the typewriter <laughs> yeah so okay so this the typewriter story imagine that in big block letters above the above this section of the podcast the typewriter story is a conversation that you told us about or a situation you told us about just when we were discussing and doing some planning just this randomly came up I don't remember how tell us about the typewriter well <laughs> um I start at my new office and they're showing me around and I'm learning the lay of the land and you know how um sometimes you have to label things you can get your Avery labels pre-stickered and whichever and you know do your nice design and yeah you and put a word label together and you you write it down and you print it out on the labels and sometimes you don't flip the labels the right way but you still get it printed on your printer yeah, yeah. oh and you know on my last job I'd be super fancy I'd be using photoshop for those labels you can you can use photoshop right um but I got introduced to the typewriter <laughs> where we take these blank labels and we stick it through the typewriter and we just hand type them just like <laughs> how things used to be done more than 20 years ago <laughs> yeah, so like, that is something like, else me, yeah probably older than me like not only that but first of all you guys I never use this typewriter because I'm not, I'm just not going there but you know, and we had 30 computers in the office with like four printers. So like anyone could have done it <laughs> the current way and brought up to, to today's times. But I guess recently something happened with the typewriter. I don't know what, because I don't ever go to the typewriter room. But I went in there recently and I saw that there was a new typewriter. <laughs> so, so, yes. so, so just to be clear, they had a typewriter and it and they use this typewriter to make labels, which we all know can be done on a computer and printer. Probably a 10-year-old at this point could do it. Yes. And this, they went and bought a new typewriter. A new typewriter. And I didn't think you could even buy typewriters anymore. <laughs> oh, and they weren't happy with the new one, so they're sending it back and getting another new one. <laughs> This is just something else. I mean, how many of us can say that we know somebody that has purchased a typewriter recently? I mean, everybody's got that uncle that's got like a typewriter from yeah, his first that job. Friend who lives the hipster. That's that what I was thinking. Takes it to Starbucks. Nobody goes out and buys a new one once it's broken. That's not a thing. <laughs> And just to be clear, not not to date anybody, but this is 2020. <laughs> yeah, they have Word, they have Microsoft Office, and like that's what's hilarious to me. Like most Avery labels, like the first thing you could download is a Word template for these labels. The lesson here is that they did not ask Christiana to be the typewriter person. So <laughs> that's a win. In our and have they? <laughs> I know that is a win. Because had they asked, I would have said no. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Like I Jackie Day for a typewriter. <laughs> I feel like they could have could have benefited from from your process improvement focused mind and pointed out to them they didn't need to spend God I don't even know how much on this new typewriter. They could just buy some Avery labels and just print it. 